Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. It's so good to be able to worship the Lord. Um, you know, one of the things I love about uh, times of worship is that it's not just a time for us to encounter the Lord, but it's a time for us to uh, just to unify our hearts together and to sing together. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Every time we pray, every time we sing, every time we get a chance to just honor the Lord in that way, it's a beautiful thing because we are connecting with our Creator. We're connecting with God, and it's a beautiful thing. To think about. So thank you guys for worshiping with us today and for allowing us an opportunity to, to just connect together uh, and letting that be something that you are open to encountering today. And so I want to pray with you, uh, and then we want to get into uh, our time together today. We have uh, been going through a series uh, entitled Out of Place, and so we want to, want to talk about that a little bit more today. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, God. Lord, we thank you that we can prepare our hearts today. And as we have come into this place, Lord, to worship you, to recognize your goodness in our lives. Lord, help us not to grow weary today in focusing our hearts on you and clinging to you, Lord, and seeking you today. Lord, may you continue to guide us and direct us today. May you continue to make your presence known among us, God as we draw closer to you, to celebrating the memorial of our redemption, Lord, may you continue to be glorified, uh, and may you continue to reveal your truth to us today. We thank you today for everything that you have given us, and we pray that you be glorified in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you today about uh, this concept of being out of place. Last week, we talked about how September is a month that doesn't make sense because the, the month of September means seven, uh, but it is actually in the ninth month of our calendar. And so uh, you can thank um, Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar uh, for infusing their, their names uh, and, and their calendar into that uh, to kind of jumble everything around. And so um, you can go through September, October, November, December, and it actually means seven, eight, nine, ten. But in our calendar, it's 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, <clears throat> so that's, uh, that doesn't make sense, right? So it's kind of out of place. So that's the, the inspiration of what we're, we're going to be talking about uh, this month through this series of out of place. Because we believe that spiritually it's possible for us uh, to get out of place, to get, to get in the wrong spot. Uh, and so uh, just like we did last week, we're going to take seven uh, truths and share them with you. Uh, last week it was seven experiences that every believer goes through. Uh, today it's going to be uh, the seven uh, mistakes that every person is tempted to make. Now you guys might be saying, I don't make any mistakes, I'm perfect. Um, you should probably leave because you will not get anything from this because you are better than us. In fact, you should come up here and I will give you the mic and I will learn from your, your, your grace and your holiness. Um, but for most of us, we have to understand that there are times where as strong as we think we are, 
as dedicated as we think we are, we still at times give in to temptation. And we do things that we shouldn't do. And we say things we shouldn't say. We go places we shouldn't go. And we stay away from things we shouldn't stay away from. And so we got to be careful that we don't just check out. And another thing that I want you to keep in the back of your mind, and we're going to reference this throughout the message today. We have to read the Bible if we're going to read it in the way that the authors intended for us to read it. Now, if we're going to read it as just a book of inspiration, then you don't have to worry about what I'm about to say. If the Bible for you is just a reference book where you go and you get encouragement because that's all you want from it, then me, me, me telling you that that's not what the authors intended for it to be, you know, it's not going to matter to you. But if we want to read the Bible the way the authors intended us to read it, then we have to read it in context with what they were saying. And so that's important for us because we are not in the time period of those who received the scriptures, for those who received the word of the Lord. But it is for us today. And so we have to recognize that as such, it is something that we need to approach correctly. And so as we get through certain uh, truths, we're going to try to add context to it so it'll help us understand that when we read the Bible, this will be an example of how we shouldn't read the Bible and immediately go, what do I think this means? We should read the Bible and go, what is the author saying here? And then how can I apply that to my life if there's application there? Because sometimes things are descriptive and sometimes they're prescriptive, right? They're prescribing something for us even today that we can attach to our lives. But sometimes it's just describing things, but we can learn from it. And so of these seven mistakes, we're going to connect through this. So let's go to James chapter 4, and this is going to be the, the, the basis of our text today. We'll have other references that we will mention, but uh, I want us to focus our hearts on this today. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, So submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, in our language and in, in the context of this scripture, we have to understand submission as uh, a term of combat, a term of yielding oneself to another person's uh, authority. It is almost as if uh, if you put somebody in some sort of um, a submission hold, if you are doing some mixed martial arts or jujitsu, uh, we have some that are, that are skilled uh, in, in many areas of combat, and they understand a thing or two about submission. Growing up, I used to watch wrestling. Now, back then, we called it wrestling. Um, so I used to watch wrestling, and uh, I grew up, you know, you guys know where I grew up. Hard, I grew up in southeastern Virginia by a bunch of hillbillies and rednecks. I don't know how they got here, but, but we love them. So we used to say wrestling, right? So I watched wrestling. One of my favorite wrestlers was a guy named Sting. You guys ever remember Sting, right? He had, uh, it was the different variations of Sting, right? But anyway, Sting had this submission hold. It was like the, the scorpion death lock, right? If you've never seen it, I can show you after church what it looks like. Um, but the volunteer as tribute, right? Benjamin will let you guys see how it looks like, okay? But the scorpion death lock, once you got put in the scorpion death lock, you couldn't get out of it. And they usually had to tap out, right? Now, for some of you who maybe watched wrestling before, uh, before Sting, or maybe in the middle of that, there are other characters like Ric Flair, right? The figure four, everybody, right? Woo! You weren't sure if you were in church, if you were watching wrestling sometimes, Ric Flair would get, would get talking, right? Um, but 
The, the figure four was another one of those submission holds, right? Once you got put into that submission hold, you had to either just break out of it or at some point you had to submit to it, right? And so that's the idea here when we think about submission. It's a term of combat, right? It's a term of yielding yourself to another's authority, right? So James is writing to the believers here, telling them to submit to God, but also resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, we know the Bible is full of examples where the enemy comes to tempt us, comes to deceive what God has said, comes to snatch away the word that the Lord has given us, and we find ourselves in a position where we have to choose, do I want to accept what is being presented to me, or do I want to reject it and follow what I know God is telling me to do? And so James chapter 4 is going to be the basis of our understanding. If we are going to overcome these mistakes and overcome uh, these potential temptations, we need to uh, recognize that those things are out there. These dangers exist, right? So number one, of the seven mistakes that every person is tempted to make is when, we do, when you do something God tells you not to. Simply put, right? We could close the book. When you do something God tells you not to, that is a temptation that the enemy will present to us that if we walk down that path, it is a mistake. It is a mistake to, to know what God wants you to do and then to do the opposite, to not do what God tells you to. We know in the case of Adam and Eve, God gave them a lot of freedom. God gave them a lot of authority. God told them uh, that they were going to um, have dominion over the earth. They are to be fruitful and multiply. All of these incredible things. But because he is a controlling, evil, totalitarian deity, he said, but there's just one thing that you can't do. Just one thing. You can't eat of the knowledge of tree or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that bothered them enough that when the serpent came on the scene and said, did God really say that you would die if you ate of the, the tree? What, he, what really is going on is he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to, to have authority and have power. He wants to have all the control. And he began to speak to him in words that began to appeal to them. And it makes sense, right? This is why it's always dangerous, guys. If you hear something that someone is saying, and they're claiming it's from the Lord, and you like it, you should immediately stop and go, wait a second. Is this the word of the Lord? Because one thing we know by the word of the Lord, it is like a sword. That it pricks us, it challenges us, right? Now, I'm not saying that everything in the word of the Lord uh, is depressing and should make us sad or feel a heavy weight. The word of the Lord has been used and will be used to encourage people to fulfill his promises, right? That, he, that God will fulfill his promises, that he is faithful to do all these things. But we have to be careful that we don't think that if it resonates, right, those are, those are buzzwords, right? Oh, it resonates, man. That if it resonates, that it's automatically true. Because, it, you know, you can imagine having Eve going, you know what, you're right, serpent. It would be nice if we could eat of the tree. It's really, it looks great. And what would be the big deal if, if us and God were on the same level? Because he's given us all this dominion. Why would he not just let us have this as well? It seems unfair. So you know what? We're going to take it and we're going to eat it. And they did so. 
And we know the end of the story that humanity fell. And because of that one act, sin entered the world. And death as a result of sin because the wages of sin are death. And so now everyone is plagued with that, right? And so Adam and Eve were, were separated from God, but God was still gracious to them in their moment of weakness. He provided a covering for them when they realized they were naked. He did cast them out of the garden, but he still provided for them, and he was still relational to them. And we know that because of the sacrifices and the acts of worship that were still being offered to him after that moment. But their choices had consequences. Their choices had consequences. You know, in this life, there are a lot of things that we can do. And then uh, when we do them, uh, we have to recognize that that doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. It affects our children. We see that in the case of number two. One of the ways that we can be attempted is when you make a decision or mock a decision. You see that typo there? Um, just throw the whole sermon out. It's invalid now. Nothing, nothing matters. Um, when you make a decision out of emotion. You see, we see very clearly that once Adam and Eve did what God told them not to, and God had to fulfill what he said he was going to do, but he was gracious enough not to destroy them. He paved a way for them to find redemption, right? In Genesis 3, he says the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. And the, the, the fulfillment of that in Christ, that, that they, get, they began to walk with an anticipation that one day God was going to restore things again. So time goes on, and they have children, and we see a story happening with their children, Cain and Abel. And in that moment, we see both of them presenting an offering to the Lord. So clearly there was still a relational aspect to their lives. It wasn't as if they had made a mistake and now God had cast them out. No, they were able to come to him and present an offering to him. And so what happens? Abel presents an offering and the Lord accepts it. Cain presents an offering and God rejects it. Why? Because Abel gave the best of what he had. Cain just gave the Lord something. And so Cain made a decision out of emotion. And that, that emotion that he expressed was anger and he killed his brother. And then the Lord began to come to him and say, why did you do that? Why did you let yourself become overwhelmed with emotion? He even says, if you, if you will allow it, sin is, is crouching at the door. Sin is right there, ready to, to devour. you got to fight the temptation. you got to fight the desire to give in to that. Because now your, your, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now I can imagine, after that moment, that Cain, I, I can imagine humanity, once his emotions settled, he felt bad for what he did. But one thing that the Lord did that shows us a very specific thing in the Scripture is that it says the Lord put a curse on Cain. He marked him that he was cursed of God. That's an important contextual statement for us to make because what God did to Cain is not what God does to us when we have a flat tire on Monday. Right? We can't say, am I cursed? Because my life isn't working out great right now. Am I cursed? But the Bible says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, right? The difference between Cain and Abel is that Cain had murdered his brother. He made a decision out of emotion, and he tried to hide it from God and tried to act like it wasn't there. And so he dealt with the consequences of that. 
Their relationship is far different than us as New Covenant believers whose sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus, washed away, right, totally new, and that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to, to, to wonder if God uh, has cursed us because we have hardship. That is called life, honey. And everybody goes through it. You know, it's one thing I've learned about the, the, the more that I have met individuals and the more that I have, uh, have connected with people, I have learned something valuable that I think everybody, I want everybody to learn. I have learned that my life is not unique. I have children. I've met people that had children. I have a wife. I've met people who also have wives. I work a job. I've met people that also have a job. I've lost loved ones. I've met people who have also lost loved ones. I've dealt with physical pain and, and hardship. I've met people who have also had physical pain and hardship. I've messed up before and made mistakes. I've met people who have messed up and made mistakes before. I can keep going on, but you get the gist. The more that you learn about people, the, the less you think how unique your situation is. And that is not to diminish how God has crafted you and, and made you special. But it does give us a reality towards the human condition. The human condition is, is we all need God. And this world is full of sin. And it's always going to, to, to have struggle and hardship. That's why Jesus told his disciples, right, in this life, you're going to have affliction, thalipsis, right? You're going to have hardship. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, the difference between us and other individuals is that we have hope. We have hope because we know that this life is not the end. This is not the end. That we have eternity with our Lord because of Christ. And so we have a hope of eternity. And that changes everything for us. Doesn't mean that we don't enjoy or that we enjoy when bad things happen, but it means we understand that they are temporary. That these light momentary afflictions are providing and producing for us, right? A weight of glory. And so God gives us opportunity in that. So don't make a decision out of emotion because even though you might feel bad afterwards, it doesn't change the fact that there might be damage that's already been caused or consequences that you have to deal with, right? If we have laws in our country and if somebody breaks the law out of emotion and then once their head uh, kind of cools down and they get, the, they get, they get a better sense of, of what's going on, they could feel bad and they could say they're sorry, but sorry doesn't stop the fact that you committed the crime. And so in our society, in a civil sense, that is just normal, right? And so sorry sometimes doesn't cut it in society, right? Now, because we live in, in a situation uh, and serve in a way that the Lord is gracious to us in our relationship with him, the Bible says that if we come and ask for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive us. He's faithful to forgive us. But we have to know that difficult things come into our lives. When I was um, getting ready to take the driver's test, I was, uh, I forget, I think at the time I was 15 or something, they, they changed it right after me, probably because of, of my generation, but, but I, I failed the written test twice. Um, and I remember being so frustrated because I failed the written test. But you know what was fascinating about failing that written test twice? I never studied. 
I thought, well, I know how to, I got all this figured out. I got this, right? So I was frustrated that I failed it twice. But at some point, I had to come to terms with the fact that the consequences of me not studying were that I failed the test. Now, I could have written the governor and said, it's not fair that you won't let me have my driver's license. I want to drive. But, and he would have said, okay, great. But if it wasn't for all the other people in the state of Virginia who might be harmed by your inability to understand and, and know what, what the road signs mean in the laws of this state, uh, I can't give you your driver's license just because you want it. You have to actually take the test. And so I, I could be upset, but then at some point we got to know that the, the life is full of tests. And we can't run away from those tests. But our emotions sometimes get the best of us. We can't let ourselves be tempted to make a decision out of emotion. Thirdly, when God tells you to go somewhere and you go the opposite. Now this is important, another truth contextually, because this story and this concept relates clearly to the prophet Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he went the other way. And he ends up encountering hardship. He ends up encountering strife and struggle. And then he admits that he's the reason for it, and so they throw him off the boat. He gets swallowed up by a great fish, and now he's in the, the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights until God graciously spits him back out onto the shore because he realizes that I, I need to do what God's telling me to do. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that this concept of uh, God telling us where to go um, and going the opposite, uh, we can twist that a little bit. Let me tell you how we can twist it. If somebody says God is telling them to do something, and no matter what anybody says or tries to convince them, they say, no, God's telling me to do this. If God is telling you to do something that takes you in the opposite direction of where his presence is, and if it a, isolates you from the communion that God has established with his people and it draws you away from the fellowship, I don't think that's God. I don't think that's God. God called me to pull away from my circle of, of accountability. God, God called me to reject every person that's telling me uh, that this is not something that they feel like the Lord's saying because I know God's talking. I just got to block out all the haters. And I just, got, I just got to trust God. That's not what this verse is. That's, that's not what this truth is saying. Jonah was given a specific task to go and to preach to Nineveh. And so God told him to go there. And so to go to the opposite was to reject that notion. And it's very important to understand that because if what you're saying God is telling you to do doesn't line up with his word, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. And so we got to be careful about that, right? So Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was prejudiced and he had some issues with the Ninevites and he didn't want to go and he was afraid they'd kill him. And so he went the other way. So if we're trying to draw application for that in our lives, there are times where God is trying to, to launch us into uh, what he wants us to do, but we're afraid uh, or maybe we have prejudice or maybe we have issues we can see that there is no fruit in going the opposite direction of what God wants you to do. There's no fruit in that. Jonah found no safety, no security, no comfort in not doing what God called him to do. 
You and I will never find comfort. We'll never find peace. We'll never find anything if we are constantly uh, going in the opposite direction of what God wants us to do because uh, it just doesn't, um, doesn't make sense to us because we don't want to do it. You see, there are a lot of things in this life that God will present to us to, to accomplish for his glory and for his kingdom. And if we're faithful in each of those moments, he will, con- he will continue to do that because that's what our jobs are. Our jobs are to, to, to walk uh, in the Spirit and to follow the leading of the Lord and to let him lead us and guide us so that we can continue to build the kingdom. That's going to put us in situations. But at times, our fear and our, our desire to, to, to not have to go through hardships kind of keep us from from going out and doing things that God has called us to do. When I was in Ohio, I led missions trips to India, to Uruguay, to Argentina, to Brazil. I also uh, could have led trips to the Philippines uh, and to Kenya. But the moment I got to the trip to the Philippines and I began to do research on uh, the the culture there, began to do research on uh, the types of insects and bugs and things that were there in the Philippines, I, I saw pictures of spiders this big, and, and I immediately was like, Lord, I don't think that's what you're calling me to do anymore. I just don't feel it. I don't feel it anymore, right? Now, that wasn't God. That was my fear overwhelming me. Now, I put the trip together. I led it from headquarters, uh, but I missed out on an opportunity there because I was afraid um, of spiders the size of, like, 16-inch pizzas, um, but all the team that went there, not a single one of them encountered the spiders. Now, they didn't have to sleep under nets, and the walls would move at night. Um, but other than that, it was a great trip. <laughs> and then there was the trip to Kenya, and I had to say, Lord, I, I don't know. There was a civil war going on there, and they were, they, they were, it, was, it was really difficult. But the team was already planning to go, and it was in a secure place, but just the getting there was, was uneasy, and I just didn't. I didn't, I didn't make that trip, and again, I missed that opportunity. And so um, the Lord was gracious to me, and he didn't cause me to suffer irreparably, but I, but I definitely missed out on those moments. And so we oftentimes miss out on those moments when we are afraid to step out and do what God's calling us to do. But don't forget, if God's calling you to do it, you won't be the only one that hears it. And we'll get into that more later, okay? You won't be the only one that hears it, and... You will, have to have, you will have confirmation in some way uh, through his word. Now, we can find confirmation for anything in his word. You know that, right? The Bible is great in the fact that I can open it up and I can make it say whatever I want it to say. But the reality is, is it doesn't say whatever I want it to say. There are specific things that it says and specific things it doesn't say. And I can't think that if I just take it for what I think I need it to say, then that's going to change things, right? Because the reality is, is God has a calling for all of our lives. And we'll get into that more when we get into seeking alliance with those in our lives. But number four, it says, when you're tempted to stay home, knowing that you should be in battle. Now, that's a specific situation in Scripture that we see happening in the life of King David. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that at a time when kings went to war... David stayed. And as a result of David staying in the palace, he saw Bathsheba, and he desired her, and he took her, and he lay with her, the Bible says. And the story doesn't stop there. He tries to 
to have her husband murdered on the battlefield. He tries to um, create a situation to where he will think that he conceived a child with, with Bathsheba, but he wouldn't do it. And eventually he does have him killed on the battlefield. And as a result of David's sin, uh, the child that was born from that affair died. And that's an important contextual element here because the Bible clearly says that because of David's sin, that child was going to die. But we know in our world that, that sadly, those things happen, right? Baby, babies, babies, babies will pass away in the womb. Babies will, will die at birth. There are complications that, that, are, that are horrible. But, but that isn't the same. That's not what ha- that's not what's happening here. David and Bathsheba didn't deal with just a level of like complications. The Bible says that God said because of that, David's actions, that child was going to die. And so that's important to know why was God doing that. He, was, he held David to a higher standard because David literally was the messianic king of Israel. He was supposed to care for the, for the flock, for the sheep. Instead, he poached them like, a, like an overlord. But David was supposed to be leading his people. Instead, he was in the palace, not doing what he needed to do. Now, all of us deal with this in our own ways because what you see in David's life here is a man who was never afraid to go out and fight. He was never a man to go out and do what he knew he needed to do. He's slaying giants, slaying 10,000. They're writing songs about him. David conquered so much. But in this moment, he let himself kind of slide back a little bit. And that's a danger that all of us have to get into. And if we aren't careful, we will get out of place in our lives. Where we need to be, but we're not there. So for some of us, it could be um, knowing that we need to take a stand in a situation, but we're just going to stay back into the palace. For some of us, it may be, I know I need to, to be visible here in this moment because I know God has strategically placed me here to be a light, but I kind of I just stay in the palace. These are moments where God has given to us to shine for him and to be used for his glory, but we kind of just stay in the palace. We can't be tempted because the same lies, the same uh, deceitful truths, these untruths, these half-truths that the serpent gave to Adam and Eve, it's the same deception that he is, that the enemy is working through, the adversary is working through, that the forces of darkness are working through all over the world. And so we've got to be careful in these moments. So David heard the word from the prophet, and he repented, right? So that's a good thing. David made a mistake, but he repented. But sometimes when people are challenged by their mistakes or by their choices, uh, we oftentimes Uh, Do what number five says, that we seek alliance with those who tell us what we want to hear. Right? And that's all throughout the Bible. When God would bring prophets to the people to tell them that they were doing wrong, they would find other prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear. The New Testament talks about churches who would gather themselves around teachers who would tell them what they want to hear. And I get back to that statement I made earlier. If you hear something from the Bible and you hear something from God's Word and it it just resonates with your flesh so much and it just makes you feel so wonderful, so great, so awesome, I would be careful to build a, a theology off of that. 
Because any time that people approached God in the Old Testament, they had to approach him with humility, right? They had to humbly present them their gifts. The same thing is true in the New Covenant, and Paul identifies that when, he's, when he was talking to the believers in Rome. He says, we need to present our bodies as living sacrifice. We need to humble ourselves. You see, humility goes a long way in us realizing that uh, the Lord has measures of accountability. So what do we see the, the, the leaders in the nations doing in the Old Testament? They try to silence the, the people that were telling them how they should live and what God was revealing to them. Right? Prophets are getting killed. Prophets are getting thrown into wells. Prophets are being imprisoned. They're having to live in isolation because uh, the kings are trying to kill them. And the rulers are trying to kill them because they're telling them something they don't want to hear. You see, we got to be careful that if we feel something, that we isolate everybody in our lives that, that might be saying, hey, I don't know about this. Because that's what society kind of teaches us, right? Society teaches us that everything is about, you know, man, just, just filling your life with the positive vibes, bro. Just let the good times roll, man. And don't let all the haters come in and steal your, your, your vibe, man. You're killing my vibe right now. Like, I was feeling great, and then you got to say something, man, and it's like, it's not what I wanted to hear right now. And you're just... You're just, my, man, I, I just, I want to surround myself with positive people, all positivity, man, just love. And the reality is, is sometimes you need somebody to say, hey, man, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Now, we will talk about later, there's a time and a place for that. And that's a temptation the enemy uses us, that sometimes we open our mouths when we shouldn't. Or in the wrong timing. So there's a time for that. But we got to be careful that we don't look at people uh, who maybe have a different perspective than us or who maybe uh, will challenge us in some way and look at them as an enemy. And that's what our society is kind of creating for us, that, that if anybody challenges us, then they're evil, right? And, and think about even from a, from a scientific method, right, which I know has come into, into criticism lately because the last few years it's almost been hijacked by, by the, the world's political system that uh, us ignorant peons need to just trust the whatever the, the science tells us, right? But the real scientific method involves testing, doesn't it? So think about this for a second, right? We're training uh, our seven-year-old, our two six-year-olds, and our one-year-old that every idea they have is not necessarily a good one. Probably good advice for them in life, right? Um, so my son will come up to me and say, Dad, I have a good idea. And I'm always like, how do you know it's good, man? Have you tested it? You haven't done any research on it? You just think it's a good idea because you thought it? That's dangerous, right? So good, good news for him. He has people in his life that will say, hey, man, we're not going to have Susie Q's and 30 packets of ketchup for dinner every night. That's a bad idea. Studies have shown that that's not a healthy diet. I know you had the thought, and it popped in your precious, beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made brain, but that was a bad idea, son. <laughs> Don't do that. And let me tell you why that's a bad idea. And so just because we have an idea in our heads or a thought, right, because, you know, that's for seven-year-olds and six-year-olds. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, even as adults, we struggle with that still sometimes. 
that we have to convince ourselves that we're wrong because we just know we're right. And that everybody around us has to convince us we're wrong because we start out every situation by saying, man, that makes sense to me. Got to be right. Let me find somebody that justifies what I'm saying because then I know I'm right. Instead of going, hey, I might be crazy here. Let me just bounce this off a few people that could maybe just challenge me a little bit. And in the end of that, maybe we can come to a, 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 a more well-rounded and more um, solid thought process, right? And so that, that's very important when it comes to walking with the Lord and doing what God's called us to do. Because sometimes, if we surround ourselves with people that only tell us what we want to tell us, what will happen is, is we never actually grow. Or everybody just kind of stays where they're at. And so this is the reality of life, guys. We are going to have to see the value in those types of interactions. So we can't be like the Old Testament kings doing that. But there's a time and a place for that, right? So number six says, uh, when you speak instead of being silent. Now for the next two points, these last two points, we're going to pick on Peter for a little bit. Peter was famous for running his mouth, and his actions didn't always measure up to uh, what his heart was trying to say uh, or what his words were trying to display, but Peter talked a lot, Uh, and so Peter reveals to us in many ways uh, an example for us that we need to sometimes just be silent and listen. There will come a time for those things to be spoken. But here's what's important, guys. Uh, The way we understand prophets, and this is a danger for a lot of us, right? The way we understand prophets today is not the way prophets were understood in the Old Testament. You know that, right? And so when somebody feels like the the Lord told them something, uh, they don't all of a sudden become God's mouthpiece for that civilization. We have to take what they say, and we have to bounce it off of God's authority, right? His authoritative word. Because in the past, God spoke through the apostles and prophets, but now he speaks to us through his son. Doesn't mean that the gift of prophecy still doesn't exist, that God still doesn't use people to speak to people, but that doesn't mean if somebody says something, I got it, well, okay, I guess that's what it is. And Jesus gives us that example. So many times Jesus would say things, and Peter would have to step in and say, no, no, we're not going to do that. Right? When Jesus said he was going to die and he was going to be handed over to, to the people to be crucified, Peter says, that won't happen. You will not do it. He said, get there behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Peter saying, you just called me what? I'm trying to help you. I don't want you to die. You don't want to die. But Peter wasn't listening to what Jesus was saying. And that brings up an interesting conversation. Starter for us. And I've said this before, we've written about it in our books. There is a, a term called active listening. You guys ever heard of that before? Active listening. It means you're not listening just to talk. You're listening to learn. Right? You're listening to, to actually learn from someone, not to find your moment of interjection. Because that's not listening. That's playing Frogger. And you're waiting for that moment to jump on the log, right? Or whatever the lily pad is, right? 
And so you're just going, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. All right, go. And, but you're not actually listening in those moments. And that can be difficult to converse. And we've all been there, right? And you can hear it happening sometimes. When you, when you become more familiar with the nuances of that, you can say, oh, man, these people are saying and talking, but neither one of them are listening. And they're just talking, and they keep talking, and everybody keeps going, and they're getting amped up. You're like, man, somebody just needs to stop and listen for a little bit because they just keep talking. And sometimes when it comes to us wanting to honor the Lord in our lives, uh, we gotta, we got to know that when, when to talk and when to, when to not talk. Now, let me give you some context here. I'm not saying that we should ever be silent about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, in Peter's case, he was preventing the gospel from, <laughs> from coming to pass. And so that's why Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. But Peter didn't stop there. Jesus was saying how people were going to betray him. People were going to turn away from him, right? And Peter says, everybody will turn away from you but me. And he says, Peter, you're the very one that's going to do it. Why don't you just stop talking for a minute, buddy? And just listen for a minute. Because I don't care about your proclamations. I don't care about your attempts to try to protect me, right? Cutting off a guy's ear because he... You're still trying to prevent me from doing what I've told you that I've come to do. You just got to be silent and trust me. And that was hard for Peter. Sometimes it's hard for us to trust. So I'm not saying be silent when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. But what I am saying is be silent in our attempts to supersede what God is doing. Because we think we need to step into that role of authority. Peter was trying to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus said, hold on, man. This is, this, is not, this is not the time for you to do that, right? And you can imagine Peter was like, I, I was trying to help. And so we see Peter operating in very bold ways throughout Jesus' ministry. But in the moment where Jesus was seemingly getting ready to be crucified and it seemed like things were unraveling, Peter began to deal with something that many of us deal with when it comes to standing for the truth. I'm not talking about um, whether or not we can have arguments with people over what's right and wrong. Peter wasn't faced with that. Peter, Peter was faced with, do you, live for, do you love Jesus? Are you one of Jesus' disciples? In which case, you're going to die because we're already crucifying one person. And then there are others that were dealing with all kinds of that. So Peter knew that his statement, whether or not he was one of Jesus' disciples in this moment, could potentially have caused him to lose his life. And so the last temptation that we are tempted uh, to give into is when you act in fear. When you act in fear. That seems silly, right, for somebody like Peter, who has become so dominant uh, in his language in the way that he would articulate things, that there would be moments in his life where he was afraid. There would be moments in his life when he was scared. But he was because uh, he really didn't understand what Jesus had told him through all of those years of ministry, through all those years of encouragement, because he was too busy talking or too busy doing and not receiving what the Lord had given to him. But all of us have moments where we're afraid. Afraid to stand up for the truth. Afraid to do what's right because it might cost us something. But Peter found himself having to deny 
the Lord. Three times because he was afraid. Jesus told him he was going to do it, but he still gave in to that temptation. Those things happen all the time, right? Whether it's with fear or whether it's with our desires. If even We know that the Bible says this will happen and this will, if you do this, this will happen, but we still sometimes give in to those things. And Peter gave in to that fear. He gave in to that moment of weakness because it got real then. You know, he could talk a big game when Jesus was there, but then when it seemed like Jesus was gone, he didn't have any, anything to, to rely on, right? We know that changed when, when, when Peter was, was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he began to proclaim the gospel. But there were still moments in Peter's life where Paul and him had interactions, right? And we're not trying to be critical of Peter here. We're just using him as an example that these are temptations that even people who God used mightily at times could succumb to. So we shouldn't walk out here going, oh, man, I don't have to worry about any of this. Because at times we could still be tempted to make these same mistakes and find ourselves out of place, right? Find ourselves kicked out of the garden, out of a, out of a brother, out of a, out of, out of a, a friend, Find ourselves out to sea, right, in the case of Jonah. Find ourselves out of, out of authority when it came to the kings and rulers who listened to the wrong voices. We can find ourselves out of our depth when we're trying to, 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 to step into things that God isn't telling us to step into. We can find ourselves in the palace when we should be in the battlefield. All these things happen in our lives, and so I want us to think about that for a second, and I want us to take a few moments to, to ponder these truths, what it means for us to be out of place in our lives, what it means for us to be out of place in the way that we are living. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God's moral standard. We've all missed the mark, and every single one of us are in need of his forgiveness. And so when we come to him, we don't come to him uh, acting as if we don't need him. We need him every day of our lives. In fact, what we do every single time we come is we recognize that through our repentance, through our confession to him, that we have missed the mark, that we have fallen short, that we are unworthy. But yet in his grace and in his mercy, he has made a way for us. And so this message is just to encourage you that if you feel out of place, there is a way for you to get back where you need to be. There's a way. God will always make a way for you to get back where you need to go. And so if you feel out of place today, if you feel like you've made mistakes, you've made choices, you've done things that you know don't bring him glory, and you find yourself in a tough spot, you can come back. And for us, and for the people of God, it's always been go back to where God's presence is. Go back to where you met God, where you experienced God. And so the pilgrimage that they would make to the temple, to the tabernacle, the, the, the moments where they would come and they would worship him, the moments where the people of God in the New Testament would come together, they'd gather and they'd connect. It is all an understanding that we are coming and approaching a God who has made it possible for us to approach him. He is transcendent over all creation, but he has made it possible for us to be with him because he literally came and tabernacled among us. He made it possible for us to engage with him. And that's why we are one with Christ, and we are one in Christ, and why we feed on him in our hearts with thanksgiving, because it's only through Christ that you and I can be connected to the Father, and we can be connected to each other. So I want to pray with you today.
And I want to give you an opportunity as we think about these truths today, about being out of place. I want us to think about our own lives, things that maybe we've done, things that we've said that we know didn't bring God glory and honor. And although God has forgiven us, if we've asked him for forgiveness, I think there are still opportunities for us in our lives to remember where God's grace has abounded in our lives. And so can you bow your heads with me this morning as we ponder these thoughts? Lord, we recognize today that all of our hearts are open to you. All of our desires are known, God, and from you no secrets are hid. You know everything, Lord. And so, God, I pray today that you would cleanse the thoughts of our minds, that you'd purify our actions, God, that by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, we would continue to love you, to magnify you, and to live for you, Lord. Lord, for you are gracious, and you challenge us, Lord, to love you with all of our hearts, with everything we have. Lord, we miss that mark sometimes. But God, in our times of weakness, you still are gracious to us. And so today, Lord, we as a people recognize that there are things that we need to address, that we are not so perfect and so infallible that we aren't missing the mark in some way, Lord. And so, Lord, as we are humbling our hearts today to you, Lord, help us today to recognize that we have sinned against you in thoughts, in word, in deed. Lord, at times we've missed the mark in the things we've done and the things we've left undone, Lord. That we've not loved you with our whole heart and at times we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. But we're truly sorry for those moments and we humbly repent. We ask you to continue to open up your loving arms and we recognize, God, that for the sake of Christ in our lives, that you have forgiven us and you have mercy in our lives. So God, we thank you today that in that great mercy you have promised to forgive the sins and to pardon those who humbly repent and come to you and turn to you in true faith. And so God, I pray today that you would do that, that you would continue to comfort us today, that you'd continue to renew and redeem our hearts today. As we humble ourselves before you today, God, that you would strengthen us, that you'd continue to produce in us, God, the gifts and the works that are consistent with a life committed to you, God. Because we recognize today that you loved us so much. Your word says that you sent your son to die for us, that whoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we can thank you for that today. And we can thank you that this saying is true, that if anyone sins, that we have an advocate with, with you. Lord, we know that Jesus is there at your right hand, making intercession. He reigns over the universe. And today we have an opportunity as we commune together to commune with you, to commune with him, for him to be present with us today as he was present with his disciples the night that he broke bread that we can connect today and be one in Christ and one with Christ who reigns in heaven with you and the Holy Spirit. 
God, I pray today that you would just be magnified and glorified today. That you'd help us today, Lord, to focus our hearts on you and to not lose sight of what you are doing, Lord. And so, Lord, we celebrate today the memorial of our redemption. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption today, God. And we thank you for this opportunity, for these gifts, Lord, to offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, Lord, to offer you these gifts, God, the gifts of God for the people of God. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify them today by your word and your Holy Spirit to be for your people, God, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you'd sanctify us in our hearts, in our lives to receive it, that we would be made one with him and be made one in him, that we'd be united in Christ and united to Christ today through his incredible work. And so we pray today as you instructed through Jesus, your disciples, to, to pray, Lord, we are bold as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this table, your table, trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, we know that our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we are unworthy to even take the crumbs that fall under your table. But God, you are gracious. You are a lover of souls. And you make it available for us to come down to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to partake and be a part of your body, to commune with you and to commune with each other as we wait for that day, as we hopefully wait and expect that day where you come and establish your throne on the earth and we dwell with you for all eternity. And so God, I pray today that you would grant us this grace today and that you'd continue to open our eyes to see these gifts and we'd take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and we'd feed on him in our hearts today with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Would you come? Let's partake together. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.